Welcome to Whatever the Case, Stryker's official ASC podcast, which features interviews with leading experts in the ASC space, focused on the clinical, operational, and financial considerations that go into ASC ownership. We hope to bring you valuable perspectives and insights to enhance your understanding of the ASC market, because whatever the case, we've got you covered. Today's topic is moving higher acuity cases to the ASC, and we are joined by Dr. Michael Ast, who is an orthopedic surgeon and the Chief Medical Innovation Officer at the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York City. Dr. Ast has nearly a decade of experience performing higher acuity cases in the outpatient setting, and for a topic that is top of mind for many ASCs today, we're so glad Dr. Ast is joining us to talk about it. Dr. Ast, welcome. Thanks so much, Dana. I really appreciate the invitation and thanks for having me on today. Wonderful. So Dr. Ast, before we get started, can you just give us a brief overview about you and your background? Sure. So I'm a fellowship trained joint replacement surgeon, uh, now working at HSS. In 2013, I started my practice in a private practice in Princeton, New Jersey, uh, just outside that area. And we started doing uh, hip and knee replacements, uh, as well as spine surgery in our surgery center that was a privately owned center back in 2014. I was there until 2018 when I came back to HSS. At HSS, I'm a hip and knee replacement surgeon like the rest of the crew, and my specialty focus is on uh, ambulatory surgery and outpatient surgery for hip and knee replacements, and I also help do some administrative work for all of our outpatient surgery. Great. So you are certainly a wonderful person to be exploring this topic with us today, and we're really, again, happy to have you. So we're just going to jump right in with the basics. Can you define what you would consider a higher acuity case? Sure. I think higher acuity cases now, as we speak about them today, are probably things like hip replacements and knee replacements, simple, whatever that means, revision, joint replacement surgery, and then uh, spine surgery above and beyond sort of the typical uh, microdiscectomies and things when you start talking about uh, lumbar fusions, ACDFs. And then, of course, what's becoming very interesting is cardiology, as that also starts to transition to outpatient surgery centers. All right. Yeah, we've definitely been hearing um, a lot about joint replacement obviously moving, certainly spine and cardiology as is those top three that we're hearing a lot about um, as of late. So, and you've been doing a lot of these higher acuity cases in the ASC for a while now. It's definitely not a new concept, but gaining more momentum. So in your opinion, why is this shift happening now? I think there's a lot behind this shift. The first part is that we know it can be done. Remember that we've been doing uh, same-day discharge hip and knee replacements in the United States since the early 2000s, and I think there's just more and more data available for it. I also think that as we've seen patients get better more quickly, as we've had staffing issues in hospitals, and certainly as COVID-19 became such a big problem, there was a big push to get patients out of hospitals, and anything that could be done in a surgery center was kind of pushed in that direction. That got combined with the improved patient satisfaction and at least as good, if not better outcomes that we were seeing with these high acuity cases in ASCs. And I think all of that just created the perfect storm for this pretty significant push we're seeing now to get cases out of general hospitals and into specialty hospitals and ambulatory surgery centers. And what does what does this all mean for ASCs? I'm sure the volume is great, but 
there's a lot that has to change and a lot of people you have to get on board to start accommodating cases like this. So what does this mean for them? I, I think, first of all, they just need to take it seriously. You know, having done knee scopes and carpal tunnels for a long time doesn't necessarily mean your staff, your team or anybody are ready to start bringing in these much, much bigger cases. So I think a lot of it is about the importance of preparation, understanding that there's going to be multiple effects on your surgery center. First, there's going to be new cases. Those cases might bring with them some anxiety, some longer uh, post-operative stays for patients, some need for increasing logistical support. But then there's also operational concerns. There's logistic concerns like sterilization, like the like storage, the size of the rooms necessary for these cases, the amount of equipment necessary for these cases, the limitations that a lot of surgery centers have on many of those logistics. And then, of course, there's the team factor that you need to be able to build a team and build a clinical program that'll allow you to scale this over time. And what about financially? I know clinically there's a lot operationally. Can you touch on any of um, what it would mean financially for a center that's looking to bring on some of these higher acuity cases? It It's new. So I think surgery centers really need to make sure they've got contracts and they understand their contracts really well. When we started our program in 2014, there were a lot of insurers that didn't even have codes for a hip replacement or a knee replacement or a shoulder replacement to be done in a surgery center. So these were being billed as unlisted codes or unspecified codes, and those reimburse very poorly. We even had a couple of insurers that we had to start with no contract at all and just use that to build some data so we could go back to them to try to convince them that they should pay our facility for these cases. Nowadays, especially if after a hip replacement and knee replacement came off the inpatient only list and are approved ASC surgeries with Medicare, a lot of the private insurers have contracts for these and it's not so bad. But the thing people really need to think about are the implants. Implants for these surgeries are also dramatically more expensive than uh, anchors for arthroscopy or some other types of implants that surgery centers are used to working with. So you really need to understand your implant contracts for your ASC because some ASCs uh, or some contracts include the implant as part of the facility fee. Some have what we call pass-through contracts, which means that the, the payer will pay for the implant directly plus a small incremental markup on that for storage. And some contracts don't really specify it at all. And those can be really problematic if you have a very expensive implant and a facility fee that you know may not even cover all of that. So it just becomes really important for ASCs to look back at the contracts that they have, really understand the implications of those contracts, because this should be a win-win-win, right? This should be better for the patient, better for the surgeon and better for the facility. But you got to make sure that all this stuff is actually lined up ahead of time so that you don't end up in a situation where you're having this very positive clinical outcome, but a detrimental financial outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really, really great point. Thanks. Thanks so much for mentioning that. Um, so if we just shift a little bit, um, can you talk about anything you know recently or as the shift has been occurring from a technological or even clinical perspective that's changed, um, that's really allowed these cases to be performed in the ASC? I think the shift to the ASC mostly is from clinical understanding, clinical knowledge and know-how of how to avoid complications, why were patients really done as inpatients with these surgeries in the past, and what have we improved over time? So I always think about it like 
the there's there's the reason that patients stayed in the hospital for these surgeries in the 90s and 2000s was usually pain and the potential need for blood transfusions. So the two biggest things that really shifted were our dramatic improvement in our understanding of multimodal pain management, our ability to use non-narcotic or minimal narcotic pain medicines, along with all the other types of modalities for pain control that have allowed our patients to both have good pain relief, but also be up and mobile and functioning very quickly. That obviously had a huge amount to do with our ability to do these surgeries in surgery centers. And then also the use of tranexamic acid and other ways that we manage blood transfusions. Because if you look back in, let's call it the 90s, the tr blood transfusion rate was about 25% for joint replacements, for hip and knee replacements. And now it's less than 1%. And that's mostly due to the, the widespread use of tranexamic acid, but also the recognition of preoperative anemia and how important that is not operating on patients if they're in a preoperatively anemic state and maybe trying some things before surgery to get that blood level back up so that they don't risk transfusion. And then the final thing is just I, as we've gotten better at surgery and anesthesia, and as we've looked at these patients over a longer period of time, we've recognized what are the things that stop patients from participating in physical therapy and getting up and getting moving. And the big thing was hydration. The big thing was fluid management. And so one of the most important protocols that surgery centers can put in place to transition these higher acuity cases is making sure they have a good fluid management protocol, meaning not making the patients be too dehydrated, certainly letting patients drink up until about two or three hours before the operation, keeping them relatively volume neutral throughout the surgery. So not dropping their blood pressure too much so that they don't have these big swings and then making sure that they're appropriately hydrated after surgery so that they can get up and get moving and not feel so dizzy and lightheaded. And I think when we do those things, when we combine those three pathways of pain management, blood management and fluid management, we create a situation where patients can go through these relatively larger surgeries and still safely be discharged home from the ambulatory surgery center the same day. Yeah, those are really great perspectives, Dr. Aston. We certainly have come quite a long way when we when we think about blood management protocols and mobility and things of that nature that really drive surgeon acceptance of these higher acuity cases in the ASC. Can you talk about patient acceptance for receiving these procedures in an ASC? Yeah, patient acceptance is a funny thing because it was very different in 2014 and 15 than it is right now. I remember when we started our first program, we actually would only operate on people who already had their other side joint replacement done. So if we were doing your right hip and you already had your left hip done, those are the patients we would take to the center because it was too many variables at the same time. They're going to have a surgery and they're going to do it in a place that they've never heard of having it before. It made patients really nervous. I think as the use of ambulatory surgery centers for these surgeries has grown over time. There's been a lot more community acceptance of this. And there are more people who come into me now saying, oh, my friend, my so-and-so had their joint replacement at the surgery center. That sounds great. I want to do that too. But the other thing, you cannot understate the importance of what happened during COVID. Because until COVID, people thought that hospitals were the safest place to be if you were having something done. And then all of a sudden that shifted to potentially, especially large general hospitals where there's an ER and an ICU, these became places that patients were afraid to go to. 
And once that happened, the shift to specialty hospitals and ambulatory surgery centers really took off. And I think that was probably the biggest recent driver of patient and community acceptance of this because people knew they didn't want to go to hospitals, but they did want to get this care. And when they knew that this care now established for two decades was available outside the walls of a general hospital, they really took to that very quickly. And I think that's really changed over the last five years or really three years since COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've certainly seen the number of ASCs that are performing procedures like joint replacements really skyrocket over the last few years. I think a number I recently have seen is somewhere close to nearly a thousand ASCs performing joint replacements. Um, and we definitely get a lot of questions and interest here at Stryker from ASCs that are looking to venture down this path. So in your opinion, what are some actionable next steps ASCs can take if they're really serious about expanding their capabilities? Yeah, I, I think if you want to take high acuity cases to a surgery center, it, it's a five-step process. Very simple. The first, you have to identify your surgeon champion, right? Nothing happens if you don't have the surgeon behind the plan to move things forward. So if you're bringing spine surgery, get your spine surgeon. If you're bringing cardiology, get your car interventional cardiologist. If you're bringing arthroplasty, like hip and knee replacement, bring that surgeon. It doesn't matter, but you need a surgeon driving the idea because they're going to be the ones that have to bring the patients and help build the protocols and all those things. So step one, identify your surgeon champion. Step two, build your team. Nothing happens in a vacuum. You must have a team at your center that is ready to go and that has that's all on the same page that have everything together so when we started our program my surgeon my team in my minds my champions that i needed as i had i was the surgeon we needed an anesthesiologist we needed a nurse in the or we needed a nurse out of the or and we needed the physical therapist and those are the people i think that were absolutely critical for building the program and growing the program and ultimately that nurse out of the or who is one of our nurses in our recovery room actually became our nurse navigator for the entire center as we built the program out. There's so many things that are important about finding the right team. You need like-minded people. You need people who are interested in trying something quote new, but you also need people that are going to take ownership of this program, right? The more everyone around you feels like it is their program, the more they will work to refine protocols, to make sure the patient experience is good, to make sure that the center has everything they need in order to logistically make it happen. So I just think it's really important to build that team. So step one, surgeon champion, step two, build your team. Step three is define your protocols. And we talked about these a second ago. It's your pain protocols. It's your anesthesia protocols. It's your blood protocols. It's your fluid protocols. It, it'll be your discharge protocols. It'll be your pre-op protocols. Whatever they are, define them, make them very specific, and then stick with them just for a little while. You can iterate them over time, but in the beginning, try them out and make sure that you try to stick with them and not vary too much so that you can see what works and what doesn't. So step one, champion. Step two, build a team. Step three, protocols. And step four is practice. Do a run through. It seems kind of silly and I know some people don't think it's valuable, but try walking through the day of this new high acuity case in the center. Where's the patient going to be in pre-op? Who's transporting to the operating room? What do they look like in the operating room? Do we have the right equipment, the right beds, the right microscopes, the right power tools, the right 
uh, advanced technology, whatever it happens to be, do we actually have it and go step by step and make sure. And when we did this in 2014, I literally laid on the operating table in the hip positioner just to make sure we knew how it went on the table, make sure everyone there was comfortable with it. And then after you've done all those four steps, find your surgeon champion, build your team, develop and refine your protocols and do your practice runs. Your last step is the easy one. That is just execute, right? And executing the plan becomes easy as long as you've done all the background work. That's your actionable items to take high acuity cases to your center. Awesome. Well, I know there's so much that goes into all of this, but you certainly make it sound very simple. So thank you for laying it out um, in a really easy to understand way in those steps. So um, one final thought from you, Dr. Ast, and again, really appreciate you talking on the topic today and really condensing all this down um, in a, a quick podcast. But can you give our listeners thinking about adding a total joint, spine, or even cardiac um, service line to their ASC one final piece of advice? The biggest, most important piece of advice is don't reinvent the wheel. This is not 2014 anymore. There are lots of places out there doing it. Talk with your friends in the community. Talk with your surgeon colleagues in network. Talk with your vendor partners and striker and whomever else you might work with and go visit some people. Go learn about some other programs that are out there. I did a visitation to a center before we ever brought our first patient in, and it was wonderfully useful. We took our entire team and visited another surgery center in our local area that was doing it. And it was super helpful to talk with people that had experience, that had built a program, that had started a program, that had scaled a program. And we all know the community tend to be very nice and happy to share things. And I think you know, there's a lot of opportunities to go do visitations, to go talk to other people, to go evaluate and get copies of other people's protocols and pathways. Take advantage of that. Don't try to start this from scratch. It's unnecessary. It'll lead to a lot of extra work and also probably a lot of headache and heartache that you could have avoided. All right. Very good. Well, there we have it. And Dr. Ast, one last time, thank you so much for joining us today. And we really appreciate all of your perspectives on this topic. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Dr. Michael Ast is a paid consultant of Stryker. His viewpoints expressed in this podcast are his own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Stryker. To learn more about Stryker's ASC business, visit www.stryker.com slash ASC.